everyone. Welcome to another episode of CJ and the Duke. As always, I am your co-host, Robert the Duke Fedoric. And I am Corey, CJ Wesley. Today's episode is brought to you by Clear Sky. Clear Sky is the better way to do identity governance and automation on ServiceNow. But you know what I love about Clear Sky, Corey? What's that, Duke? It's the fact that it's on ServiceNow. I mean, there's other IGA products out there, but nobody's ever really considered the workflow that gets the data to those systems, right? So you're basically having to integrate with these things anyway, if you care about ID management, identity lifecycle, identity governance automation, you still have to deal with the integrations. But with ClearSky, you get the best of breed in that class of tool, but it's also on the ServiceNow platform. So you don't have to worry about more apps in your portfolio. Yeah, just having it on the ServiceNow platform, getting rid of that extra integration, having everything present in the in the ServiceNow database and having all the information immediately available for all of your other applications on the platform. I, I mean, it just unlocks a tremendous amount of value. It's really the best way to do it. Yeah, you know, the apps that have been around forever and they've discovered how all the standards and best practices were going to be met, but they kind of carried around all their tech debt with them. But yep. Clear Sky has basically come when all of that stuff has been worked out and now they've got a fresh new app on ServiceNow. So if you're interested at all in identity governance and automation, check out the description below. We'll have links to Clear Sky. Tell them CJ and the Duke saying you. All right, Corey, what are we talking about today? Hey Duke, today we're talking about something the community has been after us for for quite a while. We're going to talk about project management and how you do it effectively. Yep. And it's not enough for us to go and get a project manager because we love you guys and we want the best for you. We went out and got the project manager. Absolutely. That's right. And uh, so it's my pleasure to introduce you to Pat Fuller. Pat, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Robert and Corey. <laughs> nice to be here with you today. What an introduction. I hope I can live up to it. <laughs> Quite sure you can. I, I, I've spoken with you before and I've always come away amazed. So I'm sure our audience will feel quite the same way. So I don't want to give the audience the wrong impression because saying you're a PM, it just doesn't do you justice. So why don't you tell us what you do? And don't be modest. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> well, I think of myself as a consultant. Project management is part of the tool set that I bring to my clients because I work with clients to pivot their technology infrastructure in support of business change, really focused on the business change. So the kinds of business changes that I work with are, I'll give you some examples. I work with businesses, say business A buys business B and they want to integrate them and integrate business B into business A. Sometimes business A will buy business B and they want to take these two entities into a new direction. Change can be a divestiture of part of a business, or it can be simply an organic change where leadership has decided to make a strategic shift in the focus of the business. And any of these changes though, any of these different types of business changes have technology implications. So where I come in, I engage with clients to assess the business requirements what does the business want to change to define the associated technology pivot that's needed? And then I work with them to build a business case for that pivot and gain approval to proceed. Um, once we have the approval to proceed, then bring together a team of people to actually implement. And the teams are typically made up of subject matter experts in technology, in applications, in the business 
functions, both what they were and what they want them to be. And all equally important people who are understand the particular organization's way of working. And we typically build out teams made up of combinations of employees or internal resources, external consultants or experts, as well as particularly when there's a large complex change, we'll often have a systems integrator involved in the initiative. And once we have the team together, then I oversee the delivery of the technology pivot and support of the organization's goals. So project management is an important part of that. Give us um, an idea of the scale that you operate. Um, well, it varies. I do work with some smaller initiatives, but I spend a fair amount of my time working with fairly large pivots, fairly large organizations. They have often very complex problems they're trying to solve, a lot of disparate systems and businesses that they're working together. And I'll often work on initiatives that are pretty good size, often run on for a few years too. I mean, for example, it's not unusual to be working on an initiative in my world where just getting the definition of the technology pivot that's needed and getting it approved for implementation can take months because of the level of sign-off that's needed for the amount of effort that's involved. So we're talking like generational change. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes. Like changing the whole transmission out, right? Yes, often at that sort of that sort of scale. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting um, scale to be working at. And you said a few things in there that I found pretty uh, enlightening. Uh, one of them is the intentional makeup of your teams, right? You seem to have a very intentional makeup of diverse skill sets that you're bringing together in the project team. Does that? Do you find that that helps contribute to more successful projects? Oh, it really does, Corey. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, because when you're looking at those sort of generational changes, you have you need to have technical expertise, right? You need a development and an implementation team that really knows the technology that you're coming from and going to, but you also have to understand how you're going to deploy it into the business. You have to have people who understand how the business works, how it's going to work, or what you'd like to have it work, and then you have to have people that can help message that through the whole process. And by messaging, I mean keeping your stakeholders apprised of where you are and what you've learned and where you're going and how you're doing, as well as the community of prospective users about what we're looking to bring to them to change their work environment. Okay. So we're at the start uh, now of a project, right? We've put our team together. Can you tell me some of the things that you're looking for at the very beginning of this project? You've got the team together. We're having our first couple of meetings. What are you looking for to know to to know whether or not this thing is looking like it's going down the right road and it's going to be successful or where you can see that it's going to kind of go off the rails a little bit and you kind of you got to get in there and and, and drag it back on on the right path. Okay. <clears throat> so, what that takes is real clarity around scope very clear around your objectives and and i sorry on scope it's what's in scope and what is out of scope amen yeah very clear around the objectives and the timeline having a schedule together 
that makes it clear about where at a very high level, you know, every layer of this will peel back and get deeper, but you need the high level schedule and where all the pieces of the solution are going to come together to make sure that the overall schedule can be met. So that's what I'm always looking at. You know, you build out on a large program, you end up with teams and they have to work together. So each of them has to be clear about their own scope, their own schedule, the expectations of them. And then you have to message between, you know, you have to build out all, <laughs> the messaging is not just to stakeholders and potential users, it's to the project team as well. So that everybody's aware of what other places, other players in the implementation, what they're doing, because there's lots of dependencies that are there. Yeah. A lot, a lot of aspects of project management, you know, issues and risk management, as well as schedules and whatnot. It's clear that you're talking about doing technology pivots at your customers. And so we basically know what you've been doing for the last 10 years because the 10 year pivot has been cloud and virtualization and ServiceNow. So I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about a couple of the ServiceNow projects that you've been on. Sure. Happy to. Um, actually, I'll tell you how I got started with ServiceNow because it really was about 10 years ago. I was working with a client that had been spun off of a very large pharmaceutical company, and we were working to establish new and more progressive ways to build and support applications. If you've ever worked in the pharmaceutical industry, you know that it's a highly regulated industry, which means there's a requirement to have very clear controls of change within the technology infrastructure. So our objective with this initiative was to assess the processes that were in place to manage the systems development lifecycle, SDLC, and look for ways that would allow greater innovation and more rapid implementation so that the client could become more nimble. Back 10 years ago, SDLC, you're in this world, you know, it was, it was waterfall, right? You defined all your requirements up front and then you built things and tested it and deployed it. It was very controlled, very careful, but it was also tended to be very, very slow. slow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Well, everybody wanted to move into a more agile way of working, more iterative. So you can do that, but you have to do it in a way that you don't lose control, even though you're iterating change. So that's what we were looking at. And we decided to leverage the ServiceNow platform to build out a, a system to manage the client's SDLC documentation and the whole SDLC workflow, which included all the approvals that you needed to demonstrate that you've got control of things. And what I really liked about ServiceNow as I got to know it, and by the way, Robert, that's where you and I met, right? Yep. You were doing you were doing other things on, on the platform there, and I was new to it, but we were building out a custom application, and it just was so cool to me to see a platform where you could build out stories, you could build out, which, which were basically were your requirements, set up your acceptance criteria and use that as your unit test cases and your system test cases. And then, you know, you could manage the whole release and the ongoing support. You could do it all on a single platform that could then become the repository of all the evidence you needed to support any sort of questions or audits around change control. And I, I just thought ServiceNow was just a really unique platform in that regard. It was new. It was it was built on its own 
architecture in that regard. And it was uh, very innovative. Yeah, that was when we first met. And it was a special moment for me because it, it was one of those moments in my head where I, where I fully realized, ah, okay, so there's project managers and then there's exquisite execution. <laughs> and one is not always the other. And I wonder if there's either red flags to know that you're in a bad place with project management or if there's tips that you can give for big picture project execution that our audience can learn from. Sure. I'll tell you what's really important is you really understand that big picture that you just referenced, that really you have to keep coming back to what is the business objective? Why are we investing this effort to implement this project? And what I have found is really so critical is that you don't just focus on the project itself, but you focus on the long-term implications. Don't get caught up in the day-to-day -day details of just running the project, but you have to make sure that you're going to leave a solution in place that's going to make your client's world better and give them really what they're looking for. What I have seen, particularly in the ServiceNow space, is that you have to be careful that you really are aware and focused on the total cost of operation once the system is implemented. Because you know there's a cost when you have custom applications on the platform. There's a cost to the number of users and the types of users you have engaging on the platform, as well as the number of resources you have involved in the solution. I'm thinking in that case around ICOM licensing. And I've seen initiatives that got into trouble because once they were ready to deploy the final solution, there was an aha moment of what it was going to cost to operate. And I would just encourage project managers to always keep that in mind as you're going forward, as you're doing design, that there's a residual cost that, that's going to be with your client for the duration. It's funny you mentioned that from the standpoint of operational cost. When I start a project, we typically talk a, a lot about implementation costs. We don't talk very much about operational costs. We don't talk very much about post-implementation costs, right? The maintenance costs, the overall day-to-day -day running. Those things tend to get left out when you're building the platform. And I, I think sometimes folks end up with a bit of sticker shock six months, nine months, a year into their service now implementation, you know, with from the perspective of did we account for all of this and finding out that we didn't. From your perspective, Pat, are you seeing a lot more of that? I, I know you're driving it in terms of operational costs, but are you seeing a lot of your clients bringing that to the table or is that something that you have to effectively bring up and, and champion? Well, you know, Corey, what, what happens, and maybe this is a residual to the way we worked back in, you know, the olden days, when you were starting an initiative and you were getting approval to proceed, you get a budget and that budget would be to bring in people to make it happen, maybe buy servers, put them in data centers, connect them to networks, you know, infrastructure. Um, and that was a capital investment that was part of the project cost. But when you're putting up a solution on a platform like ServiceNow, you have less of that capital investment in infrastructure because you're taking advantage of the software as a solution model, right? But that has an ongoing cost. So that's the part of it I think that some people don't fully 
plan for. I mean, you kind of know it's there, but you have to budget for it. It's a long-term cost. And I'm sure you could give examples of situations where you designed systems that you might have designed differently if you'd been a little more conscious of what this is going to cost to operate for the long term. Yeah, absolutely. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important to know what feeds into those costs so that when you're designing it, you kind of keep your client inside the box. Sometimes, you know, you if you're given free reign, you design the system in a way in which, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe cost doesn't matter. <laughs> well, mine not to you. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the thing, right? Later, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. That's a good takeaway for all the other project managers out there or expiring, uh, aspiring project managers, right? Like to kind of keep the implementation focused on not just getting through to the go live date, but what happens after go live and how, what's that going to cost the business? And is the business prepared for that? Right. Having that conversation throughout the implementation, I think, is really important. Right. To make sure everyone's interests are aligned. Yeah. And I love how this has gone because and we'll put a link in the description below, Corey, ever since the outcomes, 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 outcomes. Right. Take a break. <laughs> listen to that one for 35 minutes and come back um, because. This is like the outcomes episode, but from the PM perspective, right? Everybody talks to Corey and I, hey, how do I how do I get bigger, badder, better? How do I slay bigger dragons? And it's kind of just keep a focus on the outcomes, deliver the outcomes. Yeah. Where the hell was I going with this? Damn it. Outcomes, outcomes, okay. outcomes. But it, okay, <laughs> this is important. It's important to get the PM perspective of it though, because I feel like there is a dime a dozen PMs in the ServiceNow space, which are, let's just be real here, bottom rung on the team. They're like a bureaucratic ancillary to the work getting done. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, we're going to listen to this PM and they're going to tell us how far we are on or off track, but they're in no way any kind of authority on getting things done. But if you're on a Pat Fuller project, like, damn. (laughs) You know, she'll have the the CEO and a bulldozer drive straight over you if you're not getting her what you... So, Pat, what does it mean to lead when you're a PM? How do you go from being the PM that is the bureaucratic ancillary to being the PM that is co-chair to the C-suite driving this thing? Yeah, that's part of why I don't describe myself as a project manager, Robert, because what you described there of that person who kind of comes to you like with a clipboard and says, did you get it done? Did you get it done? That to me is the project coordinator. It's not Mm -hmm. really a project manager. A project manager is somebody who's got a much bigger view and understanding of what you're trying to do, why you're doing it and how much, you know, where you've got the wiggle room to make adjustments, whether it's from a budgetary perspective from a resource perspective, from a schedule perspective. All those things are are factors and you have to keep your awareness of all of them. You know, I I I there's nothing like doing it to really build your expertise, right? You know, you just gotta just get in there and do work and build your confidence about your ability to understand where you're going. Cause it's not just going to the, you know, project management book of knowledge and passing exams. 
I think a good project manager has excellent people skills and they have to be a very good listener. You can't come into meetings with answers all the time. You have to know how to listen to what the client really needs, how to build a team to define the requirements, how to make adjustments if things are not going as expected, how to escalate potential risk, how to identify risk and then escalate. And don't just escalate risk, but come up with a recommendation, recommended remediation. So all those different types of things are really what makes a really strong manager of a project. The other thing that I think makes a huge difference in terms of projects is just don't underestimate the need for organizational change management, OCM, because that in itself can make or break an implementation. And it doesn't start, yeah, it doesn't start when the pollution's built, it starts at the beginning. It's engagement throughout the initiative. From my perspective, when I run projects, you know, I expect to be working with the stakeholders of the solution, being accountable to them and engaging with them to make sure that they're confident that we're making the progress that they're looking for, that I understand exactly what they're, what they need. What I found so intriguing, Pat, about your answer is that it completely mirrors what I've experienced in real life. Right. Like I've had those folks who are project coordinators who are basically just going around to the various stakeholders. Is this thing done yet? When is it going to be done? And so there is a degree of need for that sort of thing. But the projects that I've been on that have really, really shined have been taken to that next level that you talk about in terms of understanding the whole cohesiveness of the project understanding the need for organizational change management and implementing it, right? Executing on it and really just understanding that the project manager's role in the project is so much bigger than asking the stakeholders, did they do their part yet? And if not, when will they do it? And so I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you right, <laughs> for for being one of those project managers out here who really gets it. And, and I know, right, like you're much more than a project manager. And I think that's why you know, your projects go so well. But when we're in the trenches, I just really wish there were more Pat Fullers um, sitting next to me who understands the importance of effective project management to a project, project well, success. <laughs> Corey, thank you for those very kind words. But I will tell you that I appreciate the frustration that you feel when somebody comes along and says, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Because what I think is one of my important contributions, you know, if we're trying to get something done, you've got to define what that is in fairly simplistic terms so that it's clear to people what you're doing. But we all know that the devil's in the details. So sometimes I'll, you know, I might say to you, hey, Corey, do X. You start doing X and all of a sudden X turns into a whole lot of other things. You have dependencies and yes. uh, problems and, you know, it doesn't quite work the way it's supposed to. And so my job is to know how to assess where you are, give you ideas about how you might do it differently or people we could engage or experts we can come in to support you in order to keep it on track. And then there are times it's like, okay, we found something. We have to communicate. There's a problem here. We didn't account for something and figure out, well, if we have to stretch this piece of it out, give you some more time or more resources, you know, how are we going to do that? Right. How are we right. going to do that within the time frame? How are we going to do that with our budget? That's my job. I have to have 
confidence that I got you, you're, you're the right guy. And if you need some help, I can help you get it. And otherwise I have to listen to you. And if you tell me that in the plan, this is what you're supposed to do and when you're supposed to do it. And you say, it's not quite what we all thought it was. I have to listen to you and we have to adjust. Yeah. See, that's, that's the difference between active and passive project management, right? It's like one of those is just kind of waiting for the project, the end, and hopefully we make it to the end successfully. And then the other style there is ensuring that the project ends successfully. And and that is huge, right? Like that, like that's just, that's just so big. I'm a tech focused guy, but I tell people all the time, right? Like the difference between my successful and failed projects are often in the hands of the project manager, right? If you give me a really good project manager, like those projects go well, they go like just super well because everything you just said, right? Just the person's managing the project. They understand that sometimes from the tech side, you do run into a roadblock and that roadblock does kind of come with dependencies. And part of my French, you can get in the shit and you got to <laughs> dig out. Sometimes that takes time and having someone who understands that and can then communicate that around to the stakeholders and shake things up and reevaluate and move the pizzas around to keep us on course while I'm digging us out. That's huge. Really appreciate it. And you know, it's a team, right, Corey? When you need me to help you basically give you some cover so you can get in there and get the work done, right? Right. And I need you to do it. <laughs> exactly. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a two-way street. Yeah. Um, you know, I have to have confidence that you can do it and that you will do it. And then I need to give you the cover to get it done. That yeah. word confidence. That's a great word. I was probably going to say trust, but I think confidence might be even better. No, right? Like they both are, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, because for it to work, right? I can't BS you and you can't BS me. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when you come to me as a, hey, this thing was supposed to be done on Thursday and then today's Monday and you haven't gotten it done or given us a, an update. Right. Like to me, we're already past the level of you having confidence in me because that conversation should have had on should have been had on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Like Tuesday. I don't think I'm going to make Thursday. What can we do? Absolutely. Hey, kind of unrelated, but related. One of the things that also surprised me when I worked with you I think it was my first time experiencing program management as opposed to project management because you had four or five what I would have called projects running at the time. And I'm not sure if there's a whole lot of knowledge in our space about what differentiates project from program management. Do you think you can give the rundown of portfolio program project for the audience? Sure, I think so. It varies a little bit situation by situation, but you know, a portfolio is made up of a lot of things you're trying to get done, some of which you've started, some of which you haven't, you know, it's different places of each of the components. A program, in my thinking, is made up of oftentimes a number of projects. So coming back to the business objectives, the business is looking for a change that we're, I'm going to call it a program because there's a lot of related projects within it that have dependencies upon each other. So it's better to run those as separate projects, but you need to have the program overall to keep track of how they relate to each other and make sure that they're going to get there at the right time so that the entire solution really comes together as a unit. So, you know, I might have, um, I'll, I'll just pick an example. I might be trying to do something 
that I have to build a solution that I'm going to deploy in different parts of the world, and it has to be tweaked slightly in each one. I'll set those up as separate projects work streams because they have different schedules and they have different communication requirements and they, and they have different team members and they work in different time zones. So it's better to set them up as separate projects, but the program overall requires all of these pieces of work to be done before we're finished. And that's what we would call the program level. Does that help? Does that make sense the way I just described it? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and so the program then is, it's really what you're committed to. And the projects are components of that program. Now, some projects, if, if some programs, if you will, if they're small, you might do it all within one project team. But if they're large, it's, it's just better to break them up. What do you do when you're in the middle of a project and you realize it's going sideways? How do you get it back on track? Well, hopefully you don't get blindsided with that news, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, it comes back to how you start a project. Clear scope and clear timeline and clarity around how the teams are being kept apprised of where we are, touch point meetings and whatnot. You shouldn't get to a situation where all of a sudden everything's just gone haywire. What you sometimes find is that you've run into a roadblock that's really, really big. So is maybe that what you're describing, Corey? Is that the situation we want to talk through? Yeah. Okay. So let's say, let's say, for example, you're dependent upon a capability to be on the platform and it's not, or it doesn't work. So at that point, you have to decide what are your alternatives to go forward and what are the implications? What are the implications on the project budget, the project schedule, and the team. And basically you work through laying out what the alternatives could be. You engage your stakeholders because you might be looking for a change in direction and then you simply move forward. I, I think that anytime you run into some sort of a roadblock, you simply have to figure out how you're going to get around it. I mean, you can't let yourself take the attitude, oh, well, we're done. Right. That's not an option. You have to keep moving forward. You so, bring together the best minds to make that, to figure that out. So you mentioned something there that I thought was interesting. You said engage your stakeholders because you might be looking to go in a different direction. I think it's something that doesn't happen very often in terms of, and probably should happen more often um, in terms of having that discussion on whether or not this project is worth finishing. <laughs> you know, number one, right? Like it's the sunk cost fallacy where we've put so much into it. We absolutely got to fit. We got to finish it. And we're halfway there. Like we're always halfway there. And maybe having that conversation strongly, right? Like with some strong words might save, you know, a lot of effort, probably a lot of money and maybe allow you to kind of pare back the scope to something that is actually um, doable versus just can digging in. Okay. We were behind schedule for a month. We're just going to push the, the, the delivery date out a month. We'll catch up, which never seems to happen. So, you know, mentioning that we, we should engage with the stakeholder and see whether or not this is even, you know, a direction that we should continue to pursue, I think is really, really sage advice. Yeah. I, and that, to me, that is one of the most important responsibilities of the person who's running the program. You have to have regular engagement with your stakeholders. They have to trust that you're bring, the messages you're bringing are accurate and reliable. We were talking earlier about the importance of trust between the project manager and say the development team. You need the same sort of trust between the project management and the stakeholder community because 
You know, lots of initiatives at some point have some bad news. The question is how quickly can you rectify the situation and bring it all back? You know, you mentioned there, Corey, about the sunk cost fallacy, but I'm going to challenge you a little bit on that. Okay. If there was a business reason, not a, just a technical reason, but a business reason why this initiative is being paid for. Did the business problem go away? Or perhaps you did some work that you needed to throw away, right? But the right. business problem is still there. So, I mean, unless somebody, you know, chopped off a piece of the business to where the problem was, the problem will go away then. But otherwise, you still have that problem to solve. Yeah, but isn't it worth reevaluating on whether or not this is the right solution for that Absolutely. business problem? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, you could. And I've worked on projects like that where you're going down a path because this tool or this approach just makes sense. But sometimes you get down that path. <laughs> Ooh, um, I have some memories of ERP implementations back in the day where, you know, it doesn't actually work the way you think it does. You need to step back and figure out what you're going to do instead. You have to address the business problem, but how you do it doesn't is not cast in stone at the beginning. Right. Isn't, that's agile, right? <laughs> that is agile. Yeah, that is yeah. agile. <laughs> yeah. All right. Maybe that we leave that in for episode two. <laughs> uh, but we are at time, folks. Pat, I want to thank you so much for joining us. And maybe we can get you on again in the future. It's been my pleasure, Robert. CJ and the Duke is hosted by Robert the Duke Fedoric and Corey CJ Wesley. We are both freelance vendor agnostic ServiceNow experts who can help you in three different ways. If you want a true consigliere in your corner for your ServiceNow implementation, if you want to tell your customer story on CJ and the Duke, or if you want your brand in front of the largest independent ServiceNow podcast community, check the links below for how to contact us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.